Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And here we go on a Thursday, and welcome to October. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. October already. Here we go, and lots going on to talk about. We'll go over those uh, surprising stocks numbers yesterday. We'll go over those with Arlen Suderman with Stone X and get his market outlook. We'll get a harvest update from Central Illinois. We're going to talk about the impact of the the economic impact of the fertilizer industry. A new report out on that. We'll talk with the president and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute. All that coming up on today's program. So glad that you're with us. Hope you're having a good day. We're going to start things off, though, with an update out of Washington, D.C. Uh, Andrew Walmsley, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation, joins us to kick off the show. Andrew, thank you for being with us. Let's start with what did get done. Uh, they pushed it about as far as you can, but uh, they finally got everything done for the continuing resolution to keep the government uh, uh, open, operating, get the funds there, right? Yes, sir. It's been a wild couple of weeks in Washington, a very busy September, and now it's spilling over to October. But, yeah, right up to the wire uh, the fiscal year for the federal government ends on September 30th, and without a continuing resolution or more traditionally an appropriations bill, the government would shut down. Uh, but luckily, uh, an agreement was struck last week with the House and White House and the Senate, uh, but the Senate couldn't get around to actually passing the bill till late last night, and the president signed it into law, so averted a shutdown. But more importantly for agriculture, uh, we had an immediate reimbursement of the Commodity Credit Corporation. So farm bill programs are no longer in jeopardy for the next few months. Now, we're still waiting to see what happens on another COVID relief bill. Looks like the House is delaying the vote on their $2.2 trillion bill to uh, give them more time to have talks, negotiations with the White House. What's the latest there? You're absolutely correct. If you if we would have talked earlier in the week, I probably would have said there's no chance that, that there would be another COVID relief package before the election. Uh, most folks were betting that it would be after the election. Um, so, But I would say never say never. Uh, even talking last night with some folks in the Senate, I don't know if they were overly optimistic, but the line was basically never say never. So the fact that the House delayed their vote uh, shows a willingness uh, by the Speaker uh, to continue negotiations with the White House. Uh, there's been a lot of, uh, I guess, paper traded back and forth uh, between the White House and, and the Speaker's office, uh, and it sounds like they might be getting closer to an agreement, but we're still just uncertain at this point today. Today's really going to be the key day for the House before they leave town to, to go on recess potentially. So either they're going to vote on their uh, revised Heroes Act, uh, which doesn't have a chance of going anywhere, or we might see an agreement reached and a, and a package voted on here very soon. The U.S. airlines industry is about to make some big uh, layoffs, some big job cuts. Does that put more pressure on Congress to get something done and the White House? Absolutely. Uh, I think what you're seeing in the airline industry, um, you know, the gloomy reports from a lot in the the entertainment, hotel, restaurant industry, uh, those are all sectors of the economy that, that have been reeling and have not seen a lot of aid. And so, uh, I think those are, are putting a lot of pressure and just the pressure of going back home. I mean, people are still out of work. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty as, as we go into the, to the fall. 
uh, of not having anything to show while you're running for re-election, um, you know, memories are short. Even though we've injected about $3 trillion into the economy and COVID response, um, that was way back uh, in, at the end of March, and, and not a lot's happened since then. So uh, I think there's just the political pressure, uh, particularly those in tight races, to, to come home and say, look what we've done for you uh, leading up to the November election. We're talking with Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Andrew, in this COVID relief package that they are discussing, we know there's a difference on the amount that is going to be spent, so they're trying to work on that. What do we know about the ag provisions, what might or might not be in there? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're correct on the, the, the big disagreement. is is not necessarily the ag issues at this point. It's that top-line number on how much additional aid that needs to go out, and particularly how to treat uh, what we would call blue states on, on bailing them out even before the, the pandemic has been some of the sticking points. You know, some of the ag pieces, um, you know, where it's not clear everything that was part of the counter offer uh, back from Secretary Mnuchin to the to the Speaker's office. But the, the House bill, the revised HEROES Act, had several provisions that were important for agriculture, uh, particularly uh, looking at some compensation for the disposal of livestock earlier this year. You know, the, the pork industry in particularly hit extremely hard. Um, there's some improvements to dairy margin coverage for our dairy producers. Uh, you also see the eligibility for processors and biofuel facilities who have been left out uh, of, of previous aid just because the, the Department of Agriculture feels like their hands are tied. Uh, and then you also see some assistance for contract growers. They, they are kind of in that same boat that the department didn't feel like uh, they had the authority to provide assistance to those growers. So we see that in the House bill. I would expect that to be part of the agreement. Uh, but there are some troubling issues in the House bill. You've got some additional constraints uh, on the secretary to utilize the Commodity Credit Corporation. Uh, that's, I think, a no-go in the Senate. You would basically need the sign-off of, of both the chair and ranking member of both the Senate and House Ag Committee uh, in writing. Uh, and that would just, you know, hamstring the secretary in getting any programs out. Uh, so I think the Senate's not going to accept that, and, and that's probably not going to be part of a, a final package if we do get agreement. And then you also have the Revised Heroes Act that doesn't have any direct assistance to farmers. Uh, the original bill had about $16.5 billion, uh, roughly, in direct assistance. Uh, I believe the counteroffer back uh, reinstates what we saw in the Senate uh, late this summer uh, with their Heals Act and even their skinny bill, an additional $20 billion. Um, so th- those are kind of some of the ag pieces that are being kind of negotiated out. There's some additional PPP provisions. There's some aid for um, um when you look at employees, health, uh, farm labor, those types of things uh, are in the Democratic bill as well. And, and unclear what we might see in a final agreement, though. That just shows how much there is to work out here, how many moving parts there are. Can they agree to an amount? Will ag provisions be in it? If so, how much? And also, if there are ag provisions, as you pointed out, how much control, how many strings attached when it comes to USDA's use of those funds? Yes, those, those are the big questions, um, and there's definitely some different uh, philosophical outlooks out there, but I think there is an understanding that there's some uh, need uh, out in the countryside uh, for those issues, you know, those producers that we've talked about that haven't seen any assistance up to this point, uh, and then the uncertainty going into the fall of, of making sure USDA has resources to be nimble uh, in case we have another breakout, a complete shutdown of the economy, which we hope none, none of that happens. Uh, but we all know flu season's around the corner, uh, a lot of outdoor dining, uh, different things that we've been able to enjoy because the weather is all going to be grinding to a halt. And so 
uh, what does the economy look like in the next few weeks and months. So no agreement yet, but at least they are still talking. Andrew, thank you for the update. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Take care. Andrew Walmsley, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Up next, new study out showing the economic impact of the fertilizer industry. We'll talk with the president and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute about those numbers coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Andrew Bailey, National Pork Producers Council, Science and Technology Legal Council, funding for ag inspectors. Where does that stand? Well, unfortunately, um, that was uh, compensation for those, you know, appropriations for the uh, Customs and Border Protection ag inspectors was not included and the version of the continuing resolution that the House passed. Obviously, that still has to go to the Senate, um, and, and we're hoping that we can you know, mobilize producers, not just pork producers, but all ag producers, to contact their senators and say, uh, this, is a, this is an integral program. It's incredibly vital for American agriculture. There's a $1 trillion ag industry in America, and our first line of defense to keep uh, foreign diseases and pests out are those ag inspectors. And when that funding starts to dry up in the next couple of weeks, something's got to be done to keep them on the job and not furloughed. I wish I had better news on that, but we're still fighting the good fight. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. These are the sounds of a dinner. A dinner that almost didn't happen. A dinner now served, thanks to people like you. Due to COVID-19, 17 million more Americans may face hunger. Feeding America is helping our neighbors in need. And if you're able, you can too. Donations are being accepted at feedingamerica.org coronavirus. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Feeding America. 200 Food Bank Strong. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 
Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The Fertilizer Institute has released a new study, the Fertilizer Industry Economic Impact Study, and it shows that the fertilizer industry last year contributed over $130 billion, with a B, $130 billion, and nearly 500,000 jobs to the U.S. economy. Here to talk about that is the president and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute, Corey Rosenbush. Corey, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks, Mike. Good morning. Pleasure to be on. Pretty impressive numbers. Tell us about this study. Well, we, we always know and have known, and, and I think farmers know how critical fertilizer is to helping produce the global food supply. Um, I, I think this story takes it a step further and, and shares the impact that it has on the broader U.S. economy. Um, 487,000 jobs and $130 billion that the industry contributes uh, you know, specifically 104,000 of those jobs are direct fertilizer uh, manufacturing and distribution jobs. So uh, it, it takes a lot more than just manufacturing the product, but all of the related industries to get it distributed to the field is so critical. Yeah, what it points out to, and maybe some people hadn't thought about it, but the fertilizer industry helps farmers grow our food, but it also helps grow our economy. And and in all 50 states, uh, a big reason we do this is uh, to really help shape public policy and, and make sure that we can we can get plant nutrients to the field. And um, so particularly as we're now a little over 30 days coming up to elections, it's important data to help tell that story to uh, incumbents and, uh, um, you know, candidates that are uh, already holding office and, and understand the impact that this industry has. Um, you know, I think really impressive. One thing that stands out is that uh, nine billion of that alone just came from moving fertilizer. Just the transportation aspect of of moving the commodity to the field. One thing, one of the many things that has been brought to our attention, we're more aware of during this pandemic, has been supply chains. Let's talk about the uh, fertilizer supply chain and how that has been impacted by COVID nineteen. Well, we were really fortunate early on. As you know, COVID hit at, a, at an inopportune time, and that is right as farmers were getting ready to do their spring application. And, you know, this data is an example of how we can go to the Department of Homeland Security, how we can go to the United States Department of Agriculture and, and tell the story that it is so important that the workers in this industry uh, and that serve this industry were deemed essential. And so I would say that the fertilizer industry kept on moving through COVID. Farmers, um, corn, soybeans, crops don't know COVID's going on, so they still needed uh, that fertilizer product for the field. And for the most part, uh, we, we were able to, to move forward with little, little disruption because of that essential designation to, to make sure that happened. We're talking with Corey Rosenbush, president and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute. Corey, what are the biggest challenges facing the fertilizer industry? And looking forward, looking to the future, what do you see as far as perhaps changes in that in the uh, supply system? Well, it's a great question. I, I think the fertilizer industry will remain a critical uh, input for for farmers. We we rely. 
you know, on fertilizers to help produce over 50% of the food that we consume as a, as a globe in the world. Um, at the same time, we are uniquely um, positioned to have a significant impact on the environment, and uh, our efforts through stewardship activities and, and the 4R uh, program that, that we operate to help ensure that farmers are using uh, nutrients uh, in the proper way is just one way both on the field but also in the production uh, of the fertilizer that, uh, that we're ready to face the challenges of, of uh, the environmental impact uh, of, of fertilizer and, and of farming. So uh, that, is a, that is one challenge that, that will continue to, to be on our radar uh, going forward in the future. Uh, and, and I think uh, you may have heard uh, USDA and EPA announced a next-gen fertilizer challenge. And, and I think technology will continue to play a big role in understanding what that next generation of fertilizer is going to look like to ensure that farmers are still profitable, that they can still achieve the yields that they want, but we can do it in an environmental-friendly way and be stewards of, of the water and the land. We have seen the industry, uh, the use of these uh, crop inputs under more scrutiny in recent years and and what's uh, not only going on those fields but what's coming out of those fields and into our water Uh, that as you pointed out will continue to be a huge emphasis right moving forward yeah and we're we're trying to capture data and case studies uh, that demonstrate that there's probably no one on um, no one in the country that cares more about the land environment than the farmer and we believe that they are being very responsible uh, when it comes to applications. So, for example, some of the data that we've been trying to pull to tell the story from those case studies, uh, a farmer uh, in Virginia just outside of D.C. here uh, was able to implement some of these 4R strategies and, and saw a 14% uh, reduction in CO2, two commission, CO2 emissions, all while uh, ensuring that his cost per acre decreased. And yields and, and efficiency uh, remained uh, the same. And that's that's a, important to get that kind of information out because I think there's kind of a, a perception, a narrative out there that uh, there's no controls and uh, that uh, all kinds of uh, pollutants uh, are going into our water or to our air and that there's somehow things are out of control. I think it's important to, to get the message out about how the industry is dealing with this issue. And that's a that's a perfect opportunity to point out forourfarming.org. That's forourfarming.org because that is where we are really featuring some of these case studies and these stories uh, because it is critical that uh, we not only preach to the choir in the ag community but the general population and and we're working with with uh, environment environmental groups like the Nature Conservancy to help ensure that message gets told broadly. Yeah, a general population that might not think anything about what goes on their lawns, but seems to be very uh, concerned about what goes on a cornfield or a soybean field. <laughs> that's that's right, and and I will say one silver lining of COVID is that the the general population, and I know I was talking to some of my neighbors here in urban DC, is a heightened awareness of our food supply chains. I I think. People are paying much more attention now to how critical the food supply is. And, and while we had plenty of food and it was abundant, uh, some of the stories during COVID with some of those supply chain disruptions um, really registered in, in people's minds. And I don't 
I think there's never been a better opportunity to tell the story now because we have such a receptive, aware audience. What do you see ahead, Corey, uh, for development of new products, um, registration, uh, approval of of those products, use of those products? How how do you see this playing out to where we can, uh, you know, meet the needs, the food needs of producing food for the world, but also dealing with these environmental issues, societal issues that are coming up? Well, it is a it is a complex question, and I I do think we want to ultimately make sure we are giving farmers every tool uh, at their disposal, and uh, to to both be good stewards, but to also ensure that they're profitable and and are being good stewards. Um, as I mentioned, I I think from a federal government uh, perspective, uh, the the next gen fertilizer uh, challenge that was announced a couple of weeks ago uh, shows their commitment to. Uh, working with industry and with the agriculture community. Um, as that announcement was made, I had an opportunity to spend some time with um, with Administrator Wheeler of the EPA, and, and I can tell you during our visit on a farm here in Virginia that uh, he is, is committed to making sure that we are streamlining the regulatory process so that we are both protecting the environment but also making sure that we have those technologies available. They play hand-in-hand, and we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to get the farmers um, tools to make them um, uh, more productive but also environmental stewards. And I think you'll see uh, enhanced efficiency fertilizer technologies come out. Um, You know, there's a lot of work we're doing right now in in the biostimulant space, Um, and, and so it's an exciting future for not only the industry, but I think for uh, the farmer as well. I think one of the key areas will be to help not only ag retailers, but the farmers understand what these products are and what they do and making sure that we can establish some clear definitions so that it doesn't become too confusing for them. Yep, very important topic. All right, Corey, thank you so much. Really enjoyed the conversation, the, the information. Thanks a lot. We look forward to having you back on in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Corey Rosenbush, President and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute. Well, some interesting stocks numbers yesterday came out, and we're going to go over those numbers and what they mean moving forward as we go into this harvest season. We're going to talk with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Lots to talk about next, right here on AOA. Stay with us. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. 
You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Corn and soybean futures an hour into the day. Firm after the big rally yesterday, grain markets were higher overnight, adding to Wednesday's impressive gains following the bullish slate of USDA report numbers yesterday. Larger than expected cuts to U.S. grain stocks reported by USDA sent the futures higher. Corn futures after the numbers up 4.1%, soybeans gaining 3.5%, Chicago wheat 4.7% higher. Final 2019-2020 soybean ending stocks projected by USDA at 524 million bushels, which was 42% below year-ago levels. In soybean futures, an hour into the day on this Thursday, November up two at 10.25 and a quarter, January up a penny and three quarters at 10.28 and three quarters. Corn, December contract up three at 3.82, March up three at 3.91 and a quarter. An easier tone in the wheat futures, Chicago wheat, December down four at 5.74, Kansas City wheat, December down two and a quarter at 5.07 and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat December down three and a half at 536 and three quarters of a cent. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, October 65 cents higher at 109.20, December up 47 at 112.82. Feeder cattle, November steady at 142.05. Lean hog futures, December contract down 47, 62.62. Wall Street, the Dow up 65. S&P 500 up 15, NASDAQ up 92, crude oil down $1.98. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. We have a lot to talk about with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. All right, Arlen, I don't know how many times uh, we have talked in the last several weeks, months, about market outlook and especially as, uh, you know, the crop was gro- as we were going through the growing season, now into harvest. We were not only talking about production, but the thing we always came back to was 
these burdensome stocks that we're still dealing with. Well, now USDA says uh, maybe not quite as burdensome as we thought. They lowered those uh, stocks numbers. What do you think? Yeah, let's go back to the beginning of the summer, and I think we talked and said this is probably the most bearish uh, balance sheet that we're going to see this year. It'll probably come down from this point. Now, we came down further yesterday, and I want to emphasize we still do not have proof of fund-up supply and demand fundamentals that justify rationing demand with higher prices. But we're closer to that level. We're a lot closer with soybeans than we are with corn, and wheat is somewhere in in between. Um, so USDA took us another step. Keep in mind that we started out with projections for this 2021 marketing year of corn stocks above three billion, and in some cases well above three billion, depending on the analyst. We have now pulled that down. Based on yesterday's numbers, now we're down to 2.2 billion. And then we see what USDA does with production estimates eight days from now, which may pull that down further. That's still adequate supplies of corn. It just leaves a smaller window of error or a margin for error should we have more significant weather problems as we get into the South American uh, La Nina season. So it's something that we'll have to watch. With soybeans, it gets a lot tighter, a lot more interesting, a lot quicker. It brings us down to about 410 million bushels or so. Now we see what USDA does with their production estimate eight days from now, which will likely draw that down some more. And then you start looking at a La Nina growing season in South America. That tends to give Brazil a good crop, but Argentina has a high probability of a short crop. And uh, Argentina is not a big exporter of soybeans, but they are the world's largest exporter of soy meal. And add in the political problems they have as well, they're going to have trouble. If they get a short crop, they're going to have trouble meeting their obligations for soy meal and soy oil. And that's going to shift the business to the U.S. and Brazil, which will shift more export business our way as well if Brazil has to crush more uh, soybeans. So all of a sudden, we could be looking at a tight balance sheet if those things come together. It looks promising that they may come together. They have not yet, um, but it's certainly an easier path to a bullish scenario than it is for, for corn. Uh, for soy, yeah, for corn. For wheat, we have huge world wheat stocks, but mo- majority of those are in China. If you look at world exporters, the supplies are relatively tight. The Black Sea sets the price for wheat each year, and they are very dry. Their window of opportunity for getting their crop planted is closing. About 25% of Russia's winter wheat belt is too dry to plant. Uh, 50% is planted, but too dry to really establish the crop, so it's very uneven stands. No rain in the forecast the next two weeks, uh, and, and they start to go dormant in northern areas in two weeks. They could be looking at a drop of 15 to 20 million metric tons of production next year, and suddenly the world wheat market catches fire. So a lot of interesting dynamics that yesterday contributed to. Yeah, it shows how things can change. This is a, and you, as you said, uh, a lot of these pieces still have to come together. But the overall scenario certainly looks different than it did three, four months ago. It really does. Now you add in another component to that, and that's the attitude or the sentiment of the funds. 
We have huge money supply, up 40% since late February, M1 money supply, a lot of money seeking a home. That tends to be inflationary. We have a relatively cheap dollar relative to where it was in March, uh, and that contributes to inflation. So funds are looking for something to hedge their inflation. Um, the equities have been disappointing of late. We've been up the last few days, but overall a lot of volatility ahead of the elections, and that makes them nervous. Crude oil is no longer the uh, inflationary market that it was a few weeks ago. There's nerves about that. So now they're looking at the food-based commodities, and that would be corn, soybeans, wheat, and, and uh, pork and beef, the hogs and cattle. And they're seeing some opportunities there. Again, it's not that any of them have a bullish story, but they have a developing story. And so money is flowing into it. And that tends to amplify the move right now. It can come crashing down at some point once they feel like it, that story has run its course. But for now, it is providing support. We're talking with Arlen Sitterman with Stone X. So Arlen, for farmers now in harvest... The thought going in, not that long ago, the thought was, well, you know, you kind of store this crop. The price isn't going to be that appealing, and you hang on and hope for something better. Now, all of a sudden, we're, we're starting with all these things we talked about. Isn't the, is the scenario changing or are, to sell now, or is it setting up, as you said, maybe longer term? Maybe you do want to hang on and, and, and kind of ride this out and see uh, how bullish this market could get. Yeah, we need to treat it as a business decision in our marketing plan and have a set plan and, and live with it. We have some opportunities being presented to us to protect the equity in of our, of our farms and to start to build that equity a little bit. We don't want to get greedy, um, but leave some opportunities um, to participate if it does continue to go high. There are tools to do that out there. There are various tools, over-the-counter tools, that the most grain buyers will offer. Um, that can help to do that. Um, always, pre- always manage your downside risk because none of these are guarantees. We are in an election year. We are in 2020 when anything can go wrong. But take advantage of opportunities and leave the upside open with some of these tools that are out there. What are your thoughts on uh, the early harvest results? Uh, they're highly variable. Uh, that's typical of the early 10 to 15 percent of the harvest. Uh, we have, I, I'd say, this is the year when management really makes a big difference. Depending on the level of fertility and fungicide that you use, it seems to have really helped in many cases to weather the adversity that we saw in the month of August. It wasn't a sure thing. There were some people that used good management who still had problems but it did make a difference overall. Um, As I look at the various yield results coming in, and they're all over the place, uh, it's the type of yields that say that we've got some good crops out there, but they're not great. And uh, I am in the camp that believes that we're probably looking at uh, continued ratcheting down of the production estimates by USDA. I'll have a better feel for that this afternoon when I see the data from our latest customer survey, which we will be releasing this afternoon. I have not seen the data yet, so don't read too much into my words. That's my bias having not seen it. Um, But that will give me a better feel for it. More soybean acres next year, you think? 
Yeah, I, I do think so. I was thinking that corn would probably stay fairly constant, but that we would gain quite a few soybean acres, both from expanding some areas where it's possible and from increased double cropping. There are some surveys out there that suggest we could see a decline in corn. I think a, a lot of that's going to hinge on how all these things play out over the weeks to come. I think we have a higher percentage of the acres that are flexible at this point for next year versus a farmer would generally have a pretty good idea what he's going to do. Right now I'm looking for between 87 and 88 million acres of soybeans next year. Corn is probably going to be in that 90 to 92 million acre range. And China purchases, are they kind of on hold for a holiday right now? They went into holiday today, uh, and it's a one-week holiday, so they would come out next Thursday. But in reality, as we know here in the States, when you have a holiday, uh, a lot of times you leave early and you come back late. So I don't expect to see as, as much buying activity over the next 10 days, and then we see what they do coming out of it. There could be some purchases, but overall we expect things to slow down. But you don't think they're done yet, right? I don't think they are done. Let's keep in mind that the, the culture of, chain, of the Chinese buyer is that when there's a scare in the market, they tend to really buy into that scare. And so this rally that we saw yesterday makes them nervous, and they, they tend to chase bull markets higher. They tend to buy into them. So we could see some more buying. They may come back from vacation just to do some buying if we continue to see this strength. So interesting uh, to keep an eye on them. And again, what's the latest you're hearing on the weather in South America? Uh, very dry in Brazil, delaying the start of their planting season. Um, that doesn't is not necessarily a threat to yields as long as we see the rains come start coming at some point in the month of October. It does delay the start of their export season. Uh, typical La Nina year, you will see some rains in Argentina, uh, and then it turns hot and dry after the month of October. At this point, the rains do look to increase in Argentina, but to still be disappointing. Um, so I think we're going to see some problems there. I do think that we will see things improve in Brazil as we get into November and beyond. All right, lots of twists and turns. It's turning out to be a, a little different picture here at harvest season than we thought it might be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot more volatility, and it's volatility to uh, the positive side on the screen as far as pushing prices higher, but it also increased risk for end users. They need to be... Uh, uh, taking advantage of opportunities when they do uh, present themselves. Always good to talk with you, Arlen. Thanks. We'll talk next week. Thank you, Mike. I look forward to it. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Up next, a harvest report right here in my backyard, West Central Illinois. That's coming up next. Stay with us on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. 
Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest. You only get one chance to leave your mark on the land you love. So choose the soybeans with a legacy all their own. FS High Soy, the first proprietary soybean brand. High Soy has been a part of the land for 50 years, offering the latest in trade technologies and elite genetics. High Soy varieties continue to provide industry charting yields. FS High Soy. See your local FS member company or visit fshighsoy.com. Recently, on Adams on Agriculture, EPA Administrator Wheeler has declared atrazine management tools safe for continued use in controlling weeds. As we talk with Gary Marshall, CEO of the Missouri Corn Growers and chair of the Triazine Network, uh, this is an important step, isn't it? It's a seven-year process. The good news is EPA followed the science and they made the right decision. I have often said I can't think of any other product that has been reviewed as many times as atrazine has been over the years. The product's been around for 70 years. It has more than 7,000 studies that the EPA has taken a look at over time. Numerous science advisory panel meetings by the EPA, some of the best scientists in the world reviewing the product. And the good news is they've determined that the product is safe. So that leaves another major, major tool in the farmer's toolbox to help control weeds in corn, grain sorghum, and in a variety of other crops. 
For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's get a harvest update. I don't have to go very far for this one. This one's right in my backyard, Dale Haddon Farms here in Jacksonville, Illinois, where I'm at. We're 30 miles west of Springfield. And, uh, Dale, good to talk with you. How's harvest going? Good morning, Mike. Uh, Harvest is going well, Mike. Uh, It's a lot slower than we've uh, ever started our pace. Usually we're harvesting by the week of Labor Day. This year we didn't start till the 18th. Uh, shelled some corn that was in the high 20s, and now we've been cutting beans the past week. And what about your early yields? Happy with them? Very happy on the soybean side, Mike. Um, For your listeners out there, we were able to start planting beans around the 7th of April, so we had a lot of beans that went in in April. Um, We've seen a history the last couple years of early planted soybeans performing quite well. And uh, that seems to be the trend again this year. All those beans that were planted in April, we've harvested about 750 acres of them, and they've been performing very, very well. Not quite as good as 2018, but real close to what we had, which would have been the top yield we've ever produced in this area. Which is saying a lot, as dry as it got here in August. Yeah, uh, it's it, it it was dry. Uh, we were fortunate to catch, uh, as you well know, some of those clod burst that you know hit two or three square miles we caught a couple of them in isolated areas where we've harvested so far and i think that uh really lent itself to doing some uh, higher yields but uh talking with some of our neighbors and everything that maybe didn't catch those rains they're still quite pleased uh harvesting uh for your listeners range a lot of beans between 65 and 85 to give them a range of what they're what we're seeing out here, a few of them even better than that, uh, fixing to take out a dicamba extend plot this morning. Uh, I'm looking that those yields will be somewhere in the 80s and 90s bushel level, Mike. Wow. What about uh, on the corn side? I've been surprised talking with the, you and others in this area here in west central Illinois. I mean, we've had some pretty dry weather the last few weeks overall, uh, but these crops, some of them have been pretty slow to dry down, haven't they? They have been. Uh, we have always pushed pretty hard on corn and then switched back to soybean. I'll be quite honest, we have harvested maybe 100 acres of corn. The moisture levels have just been staying in the 23 to 28 range. They've dropped down in the last week when we've been cutting soybeans. Talked to a neighbor this morning that was shelling some corn yesterday at 19 to 21. Um, but it's just been real slow to come down as far as the moisture level. Yield levels are, have been kind of all over the board. Uh, producers that uh, planted corn there in that same time frame, early April the 7th through the 12th, uh, that corn's been pretty good, but they had thin stands due to some really cool, snowy weather that it went through before it emerged in the ground for 35 or 40 days. Did not help to... Uh, establish good plant populations that's translated into some just average yields and then i've talked to uh, 
some that have picked some corn. Uh, we kind of refer to it uh, the week of Mother's Day, almost like the Mother's Day massacre. Everything we did that week had to be replanted or touched up. Uh, nothing emerged because of some five-inch rains that we had in this area. Uh, that corn, where you had good drainage, uh, that corn has been really good, but where they've had to replant or didn't replant and should have, you're talking yields in the 160 to 180 range. And anything that's been corn on corn, talked to a grower yesterday that it's about 40 or 50 bushel less than his rotated acres. So corn yields are all over the place uh, is what I'm telling you. Uh, we picked some corn that's been in the upper 260s, and we picked some corn around 200. And then both of those on fields within a half mile of each other. But topography has a lot to do where the water didn't get off the one that made it, you know, the 200 bushels. Mm-hmm. What about test weights? Test weight's been good. I won't say it's great, but we haven't got to any drier corn. Most of the test weights we've harvested and sent to the rail loader here in town have been in that 56 to 58 range. I uh, talked to a grower that had a early number, 109-day corn planted in April. He picked some of that the other day at uh, 17%, and it was uh, almost 60 bushels, so he was really pleased with that. Have you found much insect damage or disease uh, problems? Um, had a grower text me yesterday. Uh, he was picking some corn on corn. He was seeing some diplody issues. Uh, when I walked some plots with uh, some other sales reps uh, back in August, uh, when you get south and west of Jacksonville, uh, in those two plots, we're seeing a decent amount of some uh, stock disease. Uh, re- uh, southern rust was pretty calm, but northern, and, uh, northern disease blight was pretty bad. And then a decent amount of diplodia in the corn-on-corn plots. The corn after soybeans was not quite as severe, but the corn-on-corn acres have taken the brunt of a lot of, of disease and insect damage this year, I think. Forecast looks like uh, you're going to be able to keep going for a while. Yeah, well, in fact, I'm just driving around checking some other fields and the maturity range that we're harvesting soybeans in now to see where we're going to go after we get the plot out here late morning and then move on. Uh, we're pretty heavy soybeans this year, so uh, as your listeners know, when the weather's right, you better take care of them soybeans. So we're trying to get as many of those cut as possible while the weather's fit and the moisture level in those have been. Honestly, quite good, Mike. We've harvested a lot of soybeans in that 12 to 14 percent range, um, and that's just idea as far as harvesting high yield soybeans and capturing as many bushels that are out there as possible. So, the you know, forecast we might have a shower this weekend, but other than that, gonna get cool and then warm back up with seasonal temperatures and you know sunny skies. We should get uh, a good chunk of our soybeans harvested hopefully here in the next two weeks. All right, sounds like you're off to a good start. Glad to hear it. Now, if we can get the Cowboys straightened out, we'll be in good shape, right? That is true, Mike. That's <laughs> you and I can manage, though. So. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of work to do there, that's for sure. All right, Dale, thanks a lot. Have a safe harvest. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate being on right here with you. Bye. Dale, Dale Hadden, he farms here where I'm at in Jacksonville, Illinois, just 30 miles west of Springfield. That does it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a safe day. Join us again tomorrow right here on AOA.